this series that we started on living godly lives in the last days. And last week we set the stage, the canvas, of how dark it's going to be in those last days, how brutally dark it's going to be, that we've been told that it will be worse in reality than in anticipation. We saw that those who will be saved in those days will have to endure a hardship, but not in our own strength, but in the strength of Jesus Christ, in the strength of the one who said that he who began the good work in you will be faithful to complete it until that day. Amen. And today we continue our series in the book of Ezekiel. So I ask you to open your Bibles to the book of Ezekiel chapter 14. The book of Ezekiel chapter 14. It's in towards the middle of your Bible. If you have a thick Bible like this, it's almost in the middle. The book of Ezekiel chapter 14. In the first 11 verses of Ezekiel chapter 14, he is reprimanding the spiritual leaders. He's reprimanding leaders in general, but especially the spiritual leaders. And I want us to pay attention to verses 3 through 7. He, I want you to see where he's reprimanding because where the issue lies. So beginning in verse 3, he says, Son of man, these men have set up idols in their Hearts will see this refrain taking place and have put right before their faces the stumbling block of their iniquity. Should I be consulted by them at all? In other words, God is saying, look, they're worshiping other gods. They have somebody else in the throne of their hearts, and yet they want advice from me, yet they want me to bless them. God says that's not going to happen. Verse 4, therefore speak to them and tell them, this says the Lord God, any man of the house of Israel who sets up idols in his heart, there's that word again, puts right before his face the stumbling block of his iniquity and then comes to the prophet, I, the Lord, will be brought to give him an answer in the matter in view of the multitude of his idols. One day, those of us who have cherished Idols in our heart will have to stand face to face with our maker and give an answer as to why we had idols in our heart instead of Jesus Christ in our heart. In verse 5, he goes on to say, In order to lay hold of the hearts of the house of Israel who are estranged from me through all their idols. When it boils down, those who will live godly lives in the last days will have their hearts on one person and one person alone, and that is Jesus Christ. No other idol will reside in that heart. No other calling will take place in that heart because their heart will be for one person and one person alone, and that is Jesus. Amen. Verse 6, Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, Repent and turn away from your idols and turn your faces away from all your abominations. Verse 7, for anyone of the house of Israel or of the immigrants who stay in Israel, who separates himself from me, sets up an idol in his heart, puts right before his face the stumbling block of iniquity, and then comes to the prophet to inquire of me for himself, I, the Lord, will be brought to answer him in my own person. So this law applies to the native of Israel and any immigrant who wants to live among Israel. Our hearts need to be sold out to one person and to one person alone, and that is Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. 
And so he's reproving the leaders of that day because as the leaders of the nation go, so go the people. And their hearts were full of idols. Their hearts were full of ambitions. They did not have the kingdom of God at the forefront. But what I want to focus on today is verses 12 through 23. Because God has a twofold restoration problem process here. God wants to restore us in a twofold manner. God called his people to return to him in faithfulness and to turn away from idolatry. See, there's no point of turning away from idolatry if you're not going to be faithful to God. And there's no point of turning faithful to God if you're not going to give up your idols. It's a twofold process. And it's an individual process. We can't do this for our children. Our children can't do it for us. Our church leaders can't do it for you, and you can't do it for the church leader. This is an individual process that we all have to sell out for God. All our hearts individually must be given to God if we are going to live godly lives in the last day. Verse 12. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, if a country sins against me by committing unfaithfulness, and I stretch out my hand against it, this against it, destroyed supply of bread, sent famine against it, and cut off from it both man and beast. Even though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in its midst, by their own righteousness they can only deliver themselves, declares the Lord God. If I were to cause wild beasts to pass through the land, and they depopulated it, and it became desolate so that no one would pass through it because of the beast. Though these three men were in its midst, Noah, Daniel, and Job, as I live, declares the Lord, they could not deliver either sons or their daughters. They alone will be delivered, but the country would be desolate. Or if I should bring a sword on the country and say, let the sword pass through the country and cut off man and beast from it. Even though these three men were in its midst, Noah, Daniel, and Job, as I live, declares the Lord God, they could not deliver, deliver either their sons or their daughters, but they alone would be delivered. Or if I should send a plague against that country and pour out my wrath in blood on it to cut off man and beast from it, even though Noah, Daniel, and Job were in its midst, as I live, declares the Lord God, they could not deliver either their sons nor their daughters. They would deliver only themselves by their righteousness. God is making it clear that no matter how faithful your children are, they cannot deliver their parents from what is to come. No matter how faithful the parents are, they cannot deliver their sons and daughters from what is to come. If we want to live godly lives in the last days, each individual person in the age of accountability who knows between right and wrong has to surrender their own heart to the only one who can clean it, purify it, justify it, sanctify it, and one day soon glorify it for the glory and honor of God. Yes. But why these three men? Why these three men? 
These three men, as we know in the Bible, they were faithful men. They were men who went under immense persecution or immense trials. These are men who stood the test of time. And I want to look at their individual lives and see what we can glean so we can live godly lives in these last days. Because as Ezekiel told us, that even if they were in our midst, they can't save you or me. For the only one who can save is Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So let's look at Noah first. What can we learn from Noah? <coughs> Most of us know that the story of Noah is in the book of Genesis, and we know the flood story, but there's a new, a, uh, a unique aspect of the story of Noah that I want to look at that many times we don't look at when we look at the story of Noah. So instead of going to Genesis, I ask you to open your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, beginning in verse 7. Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 7. Hebrews is after all the T's in the Bible, 1st, 2nd Thessalonians, 1st, 2nd Timothy, Titus, then you get Philemon thrown in there, and then Hebrews. Hebrews, chapter 10, verse 7. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 7. As we know, sorry, Hebrews 11, verse 7. As we know, Hebrews 11 is the chapter of faith, what we call the hall of faith. People have the hall of fame, we have the hall of faith. People who have stood the test of time, people who can be an example to each and everyone. Verse 7 says, by faith, everything we accomplish in this world with God is by faith. By faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. What I want you to see here, the first thing I want you to notice is that Noah, nothing is said about Noah preaching. So in other words, you don't have to preach the gospel in order to live the gospel. You don't have to preach the gospel in, other, in order to condemn the world. You don't have to preach the gospel in order to save those around you. You don't have to be a formal preacher to live a life like Noah. The Bible says here that Noah was warned. And if you look at the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation, it's a warning message. As we learned last week, God is warning us as, as to what is to come, the darkness that is about to come on this earth. And he is telling us, come to me as the only one who can save you for what is to befall the world. Noah was warned. And what did Noah do with this warning? He obeyed. Many people want a savior these days. But how many of us want a Lord? See, the difference is that a Savior saves you from your impending doom, but a Lord tells you what to do. Everybody wants to be saved, but nobody wants to be told what to do. That's why Romans says, it is those who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Because it's not just about wanting to be saved, it's about wanting to do it His way. And those who live godly lives 
who will be the sheep who hear his voice and who follow the lamb wherever he goes. And so Noah was warned. And in that warning, he obeyed and prepared an ark. And by, by doing that, by living a life of obedience, that obedience and preparing that ark, that ark represents a saving relationship with God because that preparation we must do is humbling ourselves, surrendering ourselves, and entering not Noah's ark, but the ark of Christ's safety. For it, only in him can we be saved. Noah was warned, he obeyed, and in preparing and living his life, just the fact that he lived his life as a godly example, he condemned the world and saved his family. Because of this, he will be saved. Because of this, he followed God, and he was saved in his day, and he will be saved in our day. Those who are listening to the reproofs of Scripture, those who are listening to the call of the three angels' message and obey, will find themselves in the ark of safety called Jesus Christ. Then there's the life of Daniel. Turn with me to the book of Daniel. Chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1. And there's this one phrase in Daniel chapter 1 that summarizes Daniel's attitude throughout the entire book. And it's a phrase that you and I would long to have, an attitude, a discipline, a desire to follow God wherever he may lead. See, because Daniel knew that he was headed to Babylon. And if you know anything about Babylon, Babylon is a description. It was an ancient city, but it's a description of what the world is going to be in the last days. Total confusion. And we see that now. Daniel chapter 1 verse 8 says this. My version, New American Standard Version, says Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself. Other versions say that Daniel resolved in his mind that he will not defile himself. Other versions still say Daniel purposed in his mind that he will not defile himself. Daniel had a, a singular eye for the glory and honor of God. He understood, I may be in this heathen city. I may be in a place where I can have any luxury that I want, any predilection that I want, any sensuality that I want, but I will not do anything that will defile my relationship with God. I know I'm going to be put in power. I know I'm going to be given money and power and honor. But I've decided today that I'm not going to let anything get between my Savior and me. Amen. Daniel made up his mind. Daniel knew that he was being taken to Babylon. Daniel knew that after power, he was second in command, that he could do whatever he wanted, any sensuality, any luxury he wanted. He could have had it because he was second in command. But Daniel knew that there is a home and glory that outshines any kingdom of this world. He made up his mind that he was going to obey God, even if it cost him his life. He stood up to the king by not defiling himself. 
when the king enticed him with power and delicacies. He stood up to the king and was thrown in the lion's den. He could not do anything that was going to separate him from his city. Even when that decree was written that anybody who worshipped anybody else except the king will be thrown in the lion's den. Soon we know, based on the book of Revelation, there will be a decree that those who do not worship the man-made laws that will be placed in this planet will have to undergo, thank you, persecution and be threatened with death. See, there's a famous phrase or a well-known phrase in Adventist circles that says, the church is never at its purest until it suffers persecution. Why? Because if you really do not believe, if you really do not have a personal, faith-saving relationship with God, then you're not going to stick around when the persecution comes. But you can't wait until you're in the hotel room with another woman that's not your wife to say, I'm not going to do this. You need to be faithful to your wife the moment you wake up and propose in your mind that I'm not going to do anything to ruin my marriage. Amen. Or as a young person, when you go to school, you need to purpose in your mind that I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to let any peer pressure take me away from a personal faith-saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. You can't wait till they're handing you the drug. You can't wait till they're handing you the bottle of alcohol to decide not to. I pray God that you can have the strength, but now is the time. Today is the time. Now is the time to say the world is going to get darker, but I'm going to stay faithful to God no matter what. The question we have for those of us who want to live a godly life are, we, are we going to obey and are we going to make up our mind? Are we willing to be like Noah, Daniel, and Job? Those who live godly lives in the last days will have a resolute spirit who will not let go of God through the, though the entire world is against them. Are we willing? To live godly lives in the last days. Daniel had a purpose, and that was to remain faithful to God no matter what. And then there's Job. Two verses in Job jump out at me. I want you to turn to Job chapter 13. Job is before, in the direction before the book of Daniel before Proverbs and Psalms, Job chapter 13. As you know the story of Job, he never found out exactly why he was going through the drama he was going through. But Job was going through a horrific dark time in his life. He lost all his family. Not only that, he himself was being attacked with boils and sickness. That that made him believe he may die. But even in the midst of this, where he wanted to wrestle with God and find out what was going on, he says the words in verse 13. In verse 15, chapter 13, verse 15, he says these words. Picture it. 
Could you say these words looking at your Savior face to face? Though he slay me, in him will I hope. See, Job understood that the pains of this world, the darkness that is going to envelop this world, do not compare to being face to face with his Savior. He said, even if you kill me, in you will I trust, in you will I hope. Can we say that? Is your faith that strong? Or is it that we're only faithful when he gives us everything we want? But can you be faithful when it's dark? Can you be faithful when it's not going your way? Can you be faithful when everything around you is falling apart? Can you say, I'm going to be obedient, I'm going to keep my mind to the glory and honor of God, and I'm going to trust you no matter what? The next verse I want to look is found in Job 19, verses 25 and 27. Job, whose body is in horrific pain, who's going through a darkness, utters these words of trust. As for me, he says, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will take his stand on the earth, and even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I shall see God, whom I myself shall behold, and whom my eyes will see, and not enough. He knew that his Redeemer lives, and we serve a risen Savior. We serve a God who is alive forevermore. And if we hold on, if we endure until the end, if we live a life of obedience, of singleness to the glory of God, and to trust Him no matter how dark it gets, we too could be like Noah, Daniel, and Job. Amen. Those who live godly lives in the end will have those three characteristics. They will be obedient. They will have a resolute mind to serve God no matter what, and no matter how dark it gets, they will trust. Revelation 12, 11 says that they overcame the Babylon of Revelation by the blood of the Lamb, and they loved not their lives even when faced with death. Are we there? You see, Jesus lived these godly principles in his own life. You know, every time I read this verse of him, we're not going to go there, but you can mark it. Hebrews 5.8. It's speaking about Jesus. And every time I read it, I can't believe that my Lord and Savior still had to learn obedience. Jesus had to learn something? But Hebrews 5.8 says that Jesus learned obedience from the things that he suffered. And sometimes we want to give up on God when we're suffering. But Jesus took it as a learning opportunity. Lord, what can I learn in the midst of this suffering? What can I learn that I may glorify you for others in the future who may be suffering? Hebrews 5.8, you can read it. He says he learned obedience to that which he suffered. And sometimes we get mad at God when we suffer. How's about taking it as a learning lesson? 
and learning how to obey him because it's going to get darker than what we've ever have experienced. But Jesus is also the perfect Daniel. In Psalms 40, verse 8, he came with this purpose. I delight, I delight to do your will, O Lord. And your law is written in my heart. That's it. He didn't want his will. He wanted to do his father's will. And sometimes we have plans for retirement or education that don't align with the will of God. It's either his will or my will. In the end, there's only two people. Those who God says, your will be done, or people who say to God, no, your will be done. And then like Job, Jesus is the perfect Job. Who crying out with a loud voice as he hangs on the cross, unable to see the reality, but by faith clinging to his father. Remember, it's our Jesus who cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? How dark must he have felt that our Lord and Savior himself cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And if they've done it unto Christ, they will do it unto you. You will go through that darkness. Those who live godly lives in the last day will go through a darkness that we think God has abandoned us. But when the rubber hit the road, Jesus went beyond his feelings and said, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he breathed his last, Luke 23, 46 tells us. His last words were, into thy hands, I commit my spirit. I may not know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. As I, and as long as I'm living a life where I want to obey, and I want to be singular to the glory and honor of God, and that I want to trust Him no matter what, then nothing can separate me from the love of God. But I want to want it. I don't want a divided heart, the Lord says. I want a heart that is that seeks first the glory and honor of God. And if I have that, he has promised to give us all our needs. Your bread and your water will be sure. Your kids will look up to you and recognize that you have been following God and they too will follow. But they will not follow unless you surrender. But children, if your parents don't follow, you have a heavenly father who loves you more than your parents will ever love. And he is inviting you to be singular for him no matter what enticement the world may give you. So I leave you with this question today. As we continue this series next week. Will you commit to obey, make up your mind to follow him no matter what, and trust him no matter what? As I look at your faces, I can't decide that for you.
I can't make that choice for Although Noah or Daniel or Job be in the midst of our church, they can't save you. They can only deliver themselves. But I tell you what, if the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost are in the midst of your heart, they alone can say it. But we have to want it more than we want our very next breath. Obey, singular mind for the glory and honor of God, and trust no matter how dark it gets. And even if it should cost you your life, the very next thing you will see is the glory of the face of our Savior, Jesus Christ. May God bless you. That's the calling. Nothing between me and my Savior. Not husband, not wife, not children, not job, not money. Nothing between me and my Savior. If we live that life, then think about it. We've been promised to sit on the throne of God. Everything you have ever desired will be given to you because you will be sitting at the throne of God. If you doubt me, just read Revelation chapter 3. So nothing between Obey it, live singular to the honor of God, and trust Him no matter what. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you that Christ has given us the example. The true Noah, the true Daniel, and the true Job. He has walked the path before us. May we follow Him wherever the Lamb of God may lead. In your Son's name we pray. Amen. Amen.